Are you a Dragon Boat athlete? Have you ever thought about joining a team? Hornet Water Sports makes high-performance, lightweight, carbon-fiber Dragon Boat paddles. You can choose from one of their many graphic designs. Don't settle for just a boring black paddle. I love their design so much that I have four different paddles. They also have all of the Dragon Boat accessories that you need, paddle bags, tip covers, tape, and more. Visit their website at hornetwatersports.com and enter the code PINK at checkout to receive 10% off of your order. That's hornetwatersports.com and enter the code PINK. Strokeside Designs is a New York-based fine jewelry company focused on water sports. This is the best jewelry I have found through many years of searching. I love my Dragon Boat Paddle Heart earrings and my pendant. The jewelers at Strokeside Designs have worked for famous jewelry houses such as Tiffany & Company and Cartier. All of the pieces are hand-finished from fine materials. Express your passion for kayaking, canoeing, and dragon boating. Visit PaddleJewelry.com and get free shipping with the code PINK. That is PaddleJewelry.com and enter the code PINK. Robin Tout, a two-time cancer survivor and the co-founder of Breast and Plant Safety Alliance, joined me on the podcast. She shared her experience with aggressive radiation in her 20s to treat Hodgkin's lymphoma and then a subsequent diagnosis of breast cancer nearly 20 years later. Robin shared her experience with a reconstructive process, becoming ill from implants, and then opting to explant within four months. She talks about her motivation to become an advocate for others through the Breast Implant Safety Alliance, as well as the mission and the focus of the Alliance. Take a listen in as Robin shares her story. Welcome to Behind the Pink Ribbon, where we share stories, information, and other content related to breast cancer. My name is Melissa Adams. I am a 12-year genetic breast cancer survivor. I've learned so much through my own journey with breast cancer. I have met some amazing people along the way, many that have become lifelong friends. I have experienced the emotional roller coaster of a breast cancer diagnosis, heartache, anger, frustration, loneliness, and even gratitude. Through this podcast, we will speak to breast cancer survivors, supporters, and healthcare professionals to gain insight and understanding behind the pink ribbon. I'm here today with Robin Tout. She was diagnosed with stage one invasive ductal carcinoma at the age of 44 in May of 2017. Robin is also the co-founder of Breast Implant Safety Alliance. Thank you so much for being on the podcast with us today. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about your breast cancer story. I'm kind of interested to hear, um, you know, how you found your breast cancer, whether it was through a self-exam, uh, you know, visit maybe to the gynecologist or a mammogram. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So um, I was 44 at the time and I actually started getting mammograms um, at an earlier age than most people because I have a prior cancer history. I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma when I was 23. Oh, wow. And I, I had extensive radiation to my head, my neck, my chest, and abdomen. So um, I'm a very high-risk patient. So I have an um, increased risk of getting secondary cancers from the radiation treatment that I had. So was radiation or was breast cancer one of those things that they had kind of warned you about? Yes. Okay. So basically, um, the type of radiation I had, they actually don't do anymore because it's so harsh on the body. It's very damaging to cells and tissue. Um, and basically, my oncologist told me back then, which was in 1996, he said, um, anywhere I had radiation, I had a high risk of getting secondary cancers. 
So over the years, which at the time of my breast cancer diagnosis, um, I had had quite a few scares. Um, I have currently two tumors in my right lung, which I'm just leaving alone. Um, I had tumor, a tumor in my left lung, which doubled in size over a year. So I had to have that removed. So I had a, a lobectomy on my left lung. And then I had my thyroid removed because it had tumors on it. Oh so, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I've been through the ringer. Yeah. So, um, and actually when I was diagnosed with breast cancer two years prior, I had had a benign tumor on the other breast. So it wasn't really a surprise when I was diagnosed. Um, so I just really was very adamant about getting it taken care of qu- as quickly and easily as possible. So did you find it through a mammogram? Is that kind of how that happened? Yes. The mammogram okay. is what detected it. And I never even felt the lump. It was very deep okay. inside the breast. So I would have never felt it from a self-exam at all. And then um, I'm assuming that you went through kind of the typical route of like the ultrasound and the biopsy. Um, yes. Okay. So um, during uh, when I get my mammograms, well, when I did, <laughs> um, they would always do an ultrasound as well because I was a high risk okay. patient. So um, they went ahead and did the ultrasound that day. Um, by the end of the week, I had a biopsy scheduled um, and it was interesting because the the biopsy, the, the man that did my biopsy, um, I asked to take home the images. And so he gave me the images and I brought them home and looked at them and I knew right away that I had breast cancer. Huh. And that was I have never heard was, of anybody giving away images <laughs> unless well, you, you request oh, yeah. them. Your your images are yours. You can get them usually like the imaging places will put them on a disc for you and and you can take them home. So I do that with all of my x-rays, my MRIs, my PET scans. I diagnose oh. myself all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so it was on a Friday and I told my husband when he, you know, got home that day that um, when he got done working, I said, I have breast cancer. And I showed him the films and I, you know, had Googled images of um, breast cancer versus cyst, cystic breast versus, um, you know, just calcifications. And it was a very textbook looking tumor. Um, so he wanted to wait and find out what the doctor said the following week. And sure enough, you know, I was, I was diagnosed that following Monday. Wow. I, yeah. I mean, I, I think I'm just at a loss of loss for words. One, I mean, I think about how aggressive that radiation must have been to result in, I mean, you really named off a slew of different places where you've had tumors. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because uh, I've also had um, skin cancer, basal cell carcinoma in four different places. Um, And I am not a very good candidate for skin cancer at all. I have dark skin. Um, I'm Italian and I have dark hair. I have dark eyes. So it's not like I'm fair skin and freckled. And, um, but the interesting thing is the only places that I've had those basal cell carcinomas pop up is where my radiation burns were the worst during treatment. Yeah. So it's, it's just very obvious that radiation is very damaging to the cells. And we, you know, my, my oncologist was upfront and honest with me about that. So it's kind of been, um, the reason that I've just stayed on top of my health over the years, because I wanted to make sure that if something did happen, I caught it early. So I was 
right? Lucky so. in that sense. Yeah. yeah, for sure. For sure. So, you know, I mean, you kind of mentioned like it didn't really come as a surprise, um, but like, were you emotionally impacted by it still? You know, I, I don't, I'm not really sure why, but I think I just, because I knew so early on in my life that this could or may happen, I just kind of prepared for it all along. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So I think honestly, my husband was more shocked than me. And I, I just always felt like it wasn't a matter of if it was when. When. So when it happened, I just kind of was like, okay, how are we going to take care of this? You know, we just do what we got to do and um, go from there. So it was actually very quick. Um, I made a very quick decision to have a double mastectomy immediately. Yeah, I was going to ask what the uh, recommendations were. So were they making any different recommendations or did they kind of suggest like, okay, you know, we, we recognize that there are some things that are happening here and it's been over a, a long period of time. So let's just not even play. Um, honestly, my breast surgeon who I already had a relationship with because of, you know, a few years prior, I had that benign mass. He was uh, pretty conservative. Um, but I, having had as many health problems as I had over the years, I've just kind of taken charge of my own health. And I made it very clear that this is what I wanted. So I kind of didn't really let them give me my options. <laughs> I just made the decision and he went with it. So everyone Good. was on board. Good. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad that he was, you know, not fighting you in terms of what you, you know, what he wanted for you. Um, right. If you had made that decision. So, so was the um, cancer, was it ERPR positive, HER2, any of that? Well, um, the interesting thing about mine was I was initially diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer Oh, because when they did the biopsy, you know, biopsies are such a small tissue sample. Um, they really, they hadn't excised the entire tumor to test the entire thing. So just the little portion that they did test, um, when they ran further pathology, it was not showing any progesterone receptors. It wasn't showing estrogen receptors, um, or HER too. So they had diagnosed me initially triple negative. Um, so, so really kind doing... of assuming that this was all based on the impact from the radiation. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. All of my doctors have agreed with that. And that's why they've followed me so closely with my mammograms and ultrasounds because breast cancer or lung cancer or thyroid cancer are very, right. um, you know, very plausible complication from the radiation. So, um, so originally when I thought I was triple negative, you know, I was preparing myself to do chemo. Uh, I'm not allowed to have any more radiation because I've had too much. Okay. Um, so those options were kind of tossed around chemo and tamoxifen. Um, but, you know, my tumor was so tiny. It was 0. 0.7 uh, millimeters. Okay. So it was really small. And I just didn't feel at the time that chemo and tamoxifen were the right fit for me. So I was happy just to do the double mastectomy. Um, I got a lot of pushback on that because the medical community, my oncology team really wanted to just treat me like every other breast cancer patient out there. And they weren't really factoring in my entire health history over the last 24 years. Um, so I actually fired the whole team. 
<laughs> found Look, myself good a for you. <laughs> if it's and not a fit, it's not a fit. <laughs> <laughs> right. And you know when you know. That's it. Um, so I ended up um, declining chemo and tamoxifen because I felt at the time that surgery was enough. And that was almost three years ago. And I'm doing great. Still cancer free. Well, I'm and I'm super excited about that for sure. Yeah. Um, and I, I hope too. it stays that way. Definitely. Me too. So I am really kind of curious, though, because, you know, what we know, what I know in terms of, you know, being a, a patient of just breast cancer is that radiation damages breast tissue. And so, mm-hmm. you know, kind of hearing you talk about this pretty aggressive radiation that you've undergone, I would assume that there were probably significant impacts to, you know, the breast tissue you know, maybe not all of it, but some of it. So what did you opt for in terms of reconstruction and how did the radiation that you had had previously impact that decision? That's actually a great question. Um, Honestly, I was not interested in reconstruction at all. Um, I really, at the time, my kids were 16 and 18 years old and it was one of the last summers that I was going to get to spend with them before they're off in college and adults and doing their own thing. Um, so I really just wanted it to be over with as quickly and easily as possible, but, um, they make it sound really easy. Um, they make it sound like no big deal. So I was talked into reconstruction and, um, I had, I ended up choosing the option of going with tissue expanders and then implants. Um, because I did have, radiation, we were worried a little bit about the healing. Yeah. Um, so I didn't want to do direct implant just because, you know, I wanted to give the skin and tissue, well, there's no tissue left, but the skin, you know, the time to heal. I had no idea, you know, I had asked my doctors all the questions and I had no idea, um, that there were thousands, hundreds of, you know, tens and hundreds of thousands of sick women still with breast implants. I assumed that this was like, you know, they, they kind of market it as the new safe gummy bears and new safe silicone memory gel. Um, so I didn't have any problems as far as healing the incisions or anything from my radiation. It wasn't my radiation that caused problems with my reconstruction. It was, I just had such a horrific response to the actual implants and expanders. Yeah, and that's that's interesting, you know, because many people, I guess my, my question is, um, did you immediately recognize that, that it was more the implant and not an impact from the radiation? Because I think a lot of people would probably equate that to, well, it's probably because of the radiation. Yeah, I mean, I... I didn't think it was from the radiation because I was perfectly healthy and felt fantastic when I had breast cancer. I'm a very active mom of two teenage boys. Um, They're both athletes and, you know, we do a lot of traveling for their basketball teams and I'm very active and physical. I like to exercise. I was at the time walking five to seven miles a day. We go wakeboarding, we go snow skiing, we play in the ocean and boogie boarding and body surfing. Um, So I wasn't having any problems at all. And when I started the reconstruction process, it wasn't just, you know, physical pain in the incision type area, the breast area. I mean, my entire body shut down. Hmm. Tell me more about that. Yeah, it started with um, 
well, with the expanders, just tons of pain. Um, it, it literally felt like they were going to rip through my skin. And so it even started with of, the expanders. It didn't even start when the implants were exchanged. No, I mean, it got probably 10 times worse when the okay. implants were exchanged. And I knew as soon as I woke up from surgery with the implants that something wasn't right. It just, something in my body just didn't feel right. I felt very toxic. Um, And it started immediately, like within the next day, it was headaches and migraines every day, severe neck and shoulder pain. I was in physical therapy three times a week the entire time I had my implants in. Um, I would get a rash. I, I got rashes on my chest. I would get a rash on my legs. I was having trouble sleeping. Um, I've, I had two kids and went all the way from infancy to teenagers without having a problem sleeping, but I, I couldn't sleep more than two to three hours a night. Uh, I was having severe anxiety and these heart palpitations were very scary to me. They were probably one of my worst symptoms because I thought I was having a heart attack. My yeah, chest that's scary. Hurt. I would get stabbing pains in my chest and I would literally be sitting on the couch, but my heart would start racing as if I just ran five miles. Oh, wow. And I, I couldn't figure out what was going on. And I did go back to my surgeon and tell her all of this. And she didn't give me any indication that it could be from the implants. Um, she threw prescriptions at me, pain pills, sleeping pills, muscle relaxers, and then gabapentin, which is an anti-seizure medication. And I didn't take any of them. I just knew that a pill was not going to fix me. Right. Something was wrong, but it's a bandaid. Yeah. So, um, I was actually on a breast cancer support group in the middle of the night, about two 30 in the morning, complaining about my symptoms. And you know what I thought was really interesting is these, all these other breast cancer ladies were complaining about a lot of the same things that I was complaining about, but they were blaming it on chemo and radiation. Uh, and I'm sitting here thinking, I didn't have chemo or radiation, right. but I'm having that and that and that. And so um, it was it was a gal who lives here in Arizona, and she actually lives less than 15 minutes away. Um, we had connected briefly online several weeks before, and she reached out to me after I had made a post and said, look into your breast implants. Mine, she had an augmentation. And hers had made her sick for many years. And when she went to get hers out, she did an MRI to make sure they weren't ruptured. And they found a mass. And it ended up being breast cancer. Oh, wow. So she saved my life by telling me her story. And right. as soon as she told me her story, I thought, that's got to be it. It has to be the implants. Because I felt fine before I got all this in my body. So um, I actually went back to my doctor that put them in. And the day I woke up from surgery, when I went to my one week post-op, I had already scheduled another surgery because my plastic surgeon took it upon herself to put in enormous implants that were double the size of what I asked for. Oh no. So when Why I woke she up do with that? my reconstruction, um, cause she th- said she thought that I would like it and she thought they looked good. But you also already have compromised skin yes. from previous radiation. Yes. I mean, that doesn't seem, you know, I'm, exactly. I'm definitely not a doctor. I'm not a plastic surgeon, but what I know about that, that seems illogical. It's, it was a really horrible experience for me. Um, what makes it even worse is 
when I was diagnosed with breast cancer, I was not, I was not sad. I was not, you know, devastated. I actually had really large natural breasts my whole life since I was 14 and I hated them. I never understood why women got boob jobs because I had big boobs and I spent my entire life trying to hide them and cover them up. We always want what we don't have. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Grass is always greener on the other side. So when I was diagnosed, um, I have kind of a twisted sense of humor anyway. I wasn't, you know, I was like, woohoo, I get to get rid of these, you know? (laughs) So that was kind of my attitude. And, um, I was very clear from day one, my first meeting with my plastic surgeon, I told her I wanted to go drastically smaller. I'm only five, four. And I told her that I wanted to be a full A cup or a small sporty B cup because I'm an active woman. And when I exercise, you know, big breasts are very cumbersome. So I was really excited, you know, to not have to deal with that anymore. And when I woke up, she had given me back exactly what I had. Oh my gosh. But they were like twice the weight of my natural breast because well, yeah. they were full of silicone gel. It was horrific. So I you had like another I surgery scheduled? Around, like I a, felt like I was carrying around bowling balls yeah. in my chest. Yeah. Look, I mean, mine are probably a small C and they feel like that same thing. Like I, there is so much weight that comes with them. Yeah. They're so I can very only imagine. heavy. Yeah. So I was not a happy camper. So the day I woke up from surgery and six days later had my post-op, I had already scheduled my next surgery to get smaller ones put in. <laughs> Good for because you. I told her I hate I, them. I mean, and I she only... said, oh, give them a chance. You know, they're going to settle. They're going to, the swelling's going to go down. I think you're going to really like them. Um, they were 500 cc's on each side and I hated them. So I had already scheduled, so my, my implant surgery was August 15th and I had already scheduled for November 30th to have them taken out and have smaller ones put in. Like I asked for multiple times, I went back and got my office notes from the surgeon and she even wrote, dictated in her office notes that the patient wishes to be smaller. (sighs) So she went against my wishes. Yeah. So when I went to her for my pre-op, I ended up telling her that I changed my mind. I don't want smaller implants. I have found out some information from other people that are sick from their implants. And I think mine are making me sick and I just want them out. And she said, okay. So I also told her I wanted my capsules removed. Um, That's the scar tissue envelope that kind of forms around the implants. And she told me that she would not take those out because I didn't need them out because I didn't have textured breast implants in. However, I did have textured tissue expanders, which I did not know about until I pulled all my records from that office. Yeah. I hadn't thought about the textured expanders. Yeah, at the time, back in 2017, most uh, expanders were textured, but she didn't tell me that. And what really rubbed me the wrong way about that whole scenario, how that went down, is I was adamant that I didn't want textured implants because I had heard bad things about them. Never once did she think to tell me, oh, by the way, you have textured expanders in you right now. Yeah. She was just very dishonest with me. Wow. So, um, did you fire her? Too? The whole experience. 
Yeah. <laughs> the whole experience was just very traumatic for me. And, I'm you know, sure. after everything I've been through at such a young age, you know, I was 23 when this whole journey started. Um, I've just become really tough as nails and I won't back down. And I'm just very independent. I'm very strong willed. I'm very confident. I know what I want. And, and she did me dirty. Yeah. I was very upset about it. So I actually found a, a different plastic surgeon. And he removed my implants. He removed the capsules. Good. And within 24, 48 hours, I was 100% back to normal. I've heard that so many times from so many different women that it was just like a light switch. It it is. And it was for me. For some women, it's not. For some women, especially women that have had implants for a really long time, it tends to take them a little bit longer to heal. But I only had mine in for four months. Right. So, um, and honestly, as much as I was upset and traumatized by the whole experience from the day of diagnosis to, um, it wasn't breast cancer. It wasn't having breast cancer that bothered me at all. It was getting sick from the implants. Sure. That was the worst part of, of my whole experience. Um, but it wasn't until the end of my experience where I woke up from explant surgery and I felt amazing. And that's what really triggered my anger and my frustration. Like, how did this happen to me? Right. You and, and oh my gosh, how many if other this people? happened to me, Exactly. That's what just triggered in my brain. I was like, if this happened to me, how many other breast cancer women are suffering? And then it really hit me that, oh my gosh, they're they're all blaming it on chemo and radiation. So that really is kind of what led you into the whole advocacy thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I knew that if this happened to me, I'm not the only one by far. So tell me, tell so, me a little bit about what the, the Breast Implant Safety Alliance does and how does it support women? So um, we started the group back in the spring of 2018 after, I'm sorry, 2019, after the FDA hearing, um, which we all attended. We just really felt like more needed to be done to fix the problems that were going on with um, the lack of information that was being put out by the FDA, by the plastic surgeons, lack of transparency. Um, So we just kind of put our heads together and brainstorm, like, how can we fix this? What kinds of things can we do to fix this? And when we saw that the ASPS annual meeting was coming up in the fall, we just really felt that was a place we needed to be. We needed a presence there. We needed, um, you know, to just let the surgeons know that this is happening. Um, The one thing I will say is there's a lot of the online Facebook groups where women can go for support when they are sick from their implants. Um, The problem is those are all closed private groups. They don't allow surgeons or doctors in there. Um, So the information is very private and very protected behind a wall, a privacy wall. So if everything is private, how is the word going to get out? Yeah. That's a good point. Hadn't so we about decided, that. yeah, That's a great we point. decided to <laughs> step out of the privacy wall and just put it all out there. And um, that's kind of what we did. But we wanted it to be a group that worked with all parties involved, all the stakeholders. Um, first and foremost, we are patient advocates. We are advocating for patient safety 
and transparency. But we want to work with the plastic surgeons. We want to work with the FDA, with the manufacturers, because this is a problem that is so multifaceted. We want to hit it from every end. Um, Not one person or one group can fix this by themselves. We have to work together. And and I love that. I mean, I love the, you know, bringing together everybody that is a part of this, because if we leave out, you know, the, the developers of the implants, if we leave out the surgeons, nothing changes. Exactly. Exactly. So we felt that, um, that relationship was really a very much needed step in the right direction. So that's kind of where we started. Um, and that's how BISA was born and it's the Breast Implant Safety Alliance. And we we just loved the word alliance because we are an alliance. We are aligning ourselves with all those stakeholders to work together to fix this. And I have to be honest with you, I've been pleasantly surprised that we've been very well received. Um, We've, you know, met with several different, whether it's, you know, surgeon groups, um, the FDA has been very receptive to our thoughts, our ideas. So we're making really great steps in the right direction, for sure. Awesome. That is really awesome. So if if somebody wanted to either get involved or somebody needs support, where would they go to find you guys? So we have a Facebook page, um, and that's a public page. So we want everybody to be able to join, Um, especially, you know, there's a lot – there's a lot of support lacking for husbands, husbands and the men in our life, husbands and boyfriends and fiancés that have partners that are sick and don't, they can't get in the groups, they can't get information. Um, So we wanted to make sure that our organization is accessible to everybody. Um, So we allow surgeons, uh, plastic surgeons, doctors, naturopaths, um, anybody who wants to be a part of the solution is welcome to find us. That's great. Um, so we have our, yep, we have our Facebook group, we have our uh, website, and we work with a lot of the other um, Facebook groups as well and just kind of integrate our ideas together. We have Zoom meetings and um, attend conferences together. So um, I actually started to work on passing legislation here in the state of Arizona because we just feel it's really important for patients to have proper informed consent. Yes. You know, we, our goal is not to remove all breast implants off the market. Um, I'll admit it's my dream, but I know it's (laughs) not going to happen. But if women are going to get breast implants, they need to be informed. They need proper informed consent in terms that they can understand. And so that's kind of what the goal of our organization is. So, um, we are doing some things at the federal level, but it's, it's really hard. It's a big undertaking. There's a lot of organizations that are trying to work together to get things done federally, but I thought, why not try to do some things locally here as well? Um, when this all first happened to me, I actually reached out to the Arizona society of plastic surgeons and basically kind of said, Hey, this happened to me. I got sick from breast implants. There's you know, 150,000 women out there that are sick from breast implants, let's have a chat. And they set up a meeting with me. And um, I'm also involved with the Arizona Breast Implant Illness Group. 
So Lisa Roland and Gretchen Goodell, um, they're my, you know, kind of partners in crime over there. And we met with the Arizona Society of Plastic Surgeons, and we've been working together with them for the last year and a half, almost two years now. And we headed down to the state capitol to pass a law that's going to mandate surgeons to give patients proper informed consent, but also include a checklist that we created as a group of patients and doctors so that we can make sure that every patient who gets breast implants is going to be informed of what possibly could happen and how to take steps to either avoid it or, um, you know, move forward with removal and reporting to the FDA, their med watch. Um, so we just have the proper information. And so the FDA and the, and the implant companies have proper information about how real of a problem this really is. Right. So, so I'm happy to say that we have a really, um, great momentum going before this, this virus came upon us because the week before all this stuff happened with the virus, we unanimously passed our bill, uh, SB 1439 in the Arizona state Senate. I think uh, I think we have 33 state senators, and every single one of them voted That's awesome. um, in favor of our bill. Good, yeah. yay! <laughs> so our next step is to go to the House of Representatives, get it passed there, and then the governor will sign it into law. Um, but we're kind of at a standstill right now yeah. because everything's shut down. So that's where we're at. Um, with Arizona. And then we have a group of wonderful advocates in California that we're, um, I'm working with them. And it's nice because California is right next door to Arizona. So I can drive over there and go to their meetings and um, kind of do powwows with them. So we're working on legislation in California as well as Florida. And we're hoping that once we get a couple states under our belt with proper informed consent laws, that it'll be easier to pass something federally. Yes. Because the, you know, the hard work will already be done and we can just kind of make it a federal law and hopefully get enough people on board that it'll be an easy process. Yeah. Hopefully. (laughs) Yeah. Fingers crossed. (laughs) Yeah. So that's the goal. Wow. Well, that is, I mean, it's, it's amazing work and, you know, I'm grateful that there are people out there like you who are, you know, giving their time and their energy to make these kinds of changes because it is really important that, you know, we all have um, the correct information that, you know, the things, you know, if people do decide to put foreign objects in their body, and I'm one of those people, um, you know, that they're safe, that they're, you know, and, and not having plastic surgeons who, you know, very adamantly um, indicate that, there is no such thing as breast cancer or breast implant illness that nobody can have a reaction to them. Um, right. So I appreciate all of the work that you are doing. Um, I've appreciated our conversation. I've learned so much today, and I know that our listeners are going to learn um, so much as well. Uh, so thank you so much for coming on the podcast and spending your time with me today. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Behind the Pink Ribbon. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you or anyone you know would be interested in sharing your story, please send an email to podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com. Thinking about advertising on this podcast? Our ads not only create awareness for your brand, but also contribute to the continued growth and support of this show. Email us today and be on our next episode. Email podcast at BehindThePinkRibbon.com for more information. You've been listening to Behind the Pink Ribbon, produced by American Creative Consulting, mixed and mastered at Riverview Podcasting Studios. For more information, please visit 
design by acc.com.